already voted. Off and flip. At the end, at the very end. Mm -hmm. so we're not going to do that here. <clears throat> yeah. Well, good morning. It is good to see y'all. I want to welcome you. You'll notice um, a lot of our section over here is gone because our students are in Panama City and they're on a, a mission trip. I always want to go. I think I'm going to do some mission trips to Panama City. In the, but they are doing a lot of work. And so we'll be praying for them. They come back tomorrow. And, um, and if you look in the, in the um, worship guide at the announcement page, um, VBS starts tomorrow. So be in prayer for VBS and um, those that are working and also those who are coming. We're looking forward to seeing what God's going to do. And then next week is a combined worship service. Um, no Sunday school in either service. There will be um, treehouse and nursery, but in this room at 930, one worship, okay? And it'll be centered around worship and prayer, and then we're going to move toward the Lord's Supper. And um, so it'll be a good time, a, a, a special time. I think you'll enjoy the worship. So Kim and the guys are leading the, the songs, and so I'm looking forward to it. So make plans for that. And then I'm going to try something a little different. Those of you who are working during the day, you won't be able to do it. But um, I'm going to teach a psalm, and then we're going to have a prayer, some time of prayer afterwards at 9 o'clock on Wednesday mornings in the sanctuary. And information's there. It'll start on the 21st. I think that's the date. I don't have my glasses on, but it's that third Wednesday. And uh, of this month. So in the sanctuary, just a psalm and a prayer. And those of you who, who can't come, I'm sorry, but it'll be just, we're not doing um, Wednesday nights during the summer. So we thought we would try this out. And, and so if, if you can come and be a part of that, um, I hope you can join us. But we're glad you're here. Are you ready to worship today? Yes. All right. Why don't you stand up and move around and greet some folks? We are glad that you're here today. All right, you can be seated. We are really glad that you're here. Yeah. Take note of the folks that are usually around you, and let's contact them. Um, in your worship guide, there are some deacon ballots, and we would just encourage you, if you're a member of the church, to vote on seven of those names. No more than seven. You could vote for less, but at the end in the offering plate, at the doors, you can put those ballots in the offering plate, and, and so we can count those. But if you please fill those out. I read this the other day, and I know we're going to have our scripture reading in a minute, but it said, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. This is who he is. Amen? 
So let's make a joyful noise. I'm glad he put make a joyful noise. Not everybody can sing like these folks up here, but we can all make a joyful noise. Paul told us to devote ourselves to the public reading of Scripture, and we've been making our way. We've come to the Psalms. So Dr. Rowe, why don't you come? But as he's coming, would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this time of worship. We pray that we would make a joyful noise to you that you would be glorified in all we do and all we say. Bless this time, and please, Lord, manifest your presence to us. Change our hearts because we've been with you today. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning is Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. All right, church, let's continue to worship. Let's stand. You know, when we think of the word faith, faith is trusting that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he says he will do. So let's sing these songs about faith and about trust today. Every single dream I lay each one down at your feet Every moment of my wandering Never changes what you see I've tried to win this war, I confess My hands are weary, I need your rest Mighty warrior, king of the fight No matter what I face, you're by my side When you don't move the mountains, I'm needing you to move When you don't part the waters, I wish I could walk through
that truth is just astonishing to us that we are your children we are your sons and we are your daughters father father we want to just please you as your sons and as the daughters of you father forgive us when we fall short of your glory father fill us up today afresh and anew so that we may be everything that you've called us to be. Father, we thank you that you are the promise keeper. There is not one time that you have failed us. Father, lead us by your spirit. Set us on fire by your spirit. Help us to be passionate about the things that are of you and of you yourself. Work in us, Father. Work through us. Do a work that we know that can only be explained by your power and your presence here today. Thank you for what you're going to do.
keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you is eternity past and eternity future you're right here just as you've always been you never change thank you Father we praise you your scriptures say that even infants shout your praise you tell us to sing to you to worship But you also tell us 
to lay our request before you. You know our needs. There are many. We pray for our students and as they complete a mission trip and we ask God that you would move with them to in them today and through them today. Protect them as they come home, we ask. We pray for Jeff Andover, Lord, that you would bring healing to his brain and that you would give the doctors and the nurses wisdom and that you would cause these seizures to cease. God, we, we pray for Ray Johnson and just ask, Lord, it's been through a long battle. We pray for your healing in his body. We thank you for answered prayers. Lord, Kim and I are just thankful for answers we've seen this week. And I thank you, Father, that you are always at work. Even when we can't see it, you're moving. Lord, Peter wrote that you've caused us to be born again. And so we come to you as your children and ask, Father, that through the knowledge of you, we might grow. Your word tells us that everything we need as it pertains to life and godliness is ours in the knowledge of you. So, Lord, as we come to your word today, we want to grow in you. We want to grow in our trust. We want to grow in our faith. We want to grow in our obedience. We want to be more like you. I lift up my brothers and sisters here today, Lord. We're your children. And Lord, I have a good feeling that if we could hear you audibly, you might say, as you said to your own son at baptism, you're my son, you're my daughter. With you, I'm well pleased. There are times we don't feel like we're pleasing to you. But we forget that our righteousness is not ours, it's yours. You've covered us with the righteousness of Christ and you promise that one day we'll strip this old body of sin and be clothed with the righteousness of Christ once and for all. God, you know the great needs. You know the great longings of our heart. We, we pray, God, for all the children that'll be in Vacation Bible School this week. I think I heard that there are 11 different churches in our county in this area association are doing BBS this week. God, would you deliver children from the domain of darkness and transfer them into the kingdom of your beloved son? Would they find redemption in Jesus and forgiveness of sin? We just want our children to come to know you early and never depart from you, Lord. The many of us have children that aren't walking where they should be and we want them to come to you. And Lord, just help us to be remembering today that it's never too late to walk with you. It's never too late to walk in your spirit. It's never too late to give it all to you and follow you. So help us to do it today, Lord, I pray.
in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Just want to encourage you to continue to pray, seeking God. There are times when you've done all you can do and what you should have done in the first place and what I should have done in the first place is just pray. Give it to God. He can do what we can't do. And so let's trust in Him. And, and we're going to see um, two examples of faith today that should stretch us. And um, last week we started looking at saving faith. And, and we, we began, if you look in James chapter 2, we began in verse 14 and we went through 19. And today we're going to look at verses 20 through 26. I think it would be helpful. Really, this is just a continuation of last week's sermon. And, and if, if I thought um, Tolleson over there could have taken it, I'd have preached the two together. But, but his seat couldn't handle that, I don't think. And a lot of us couldn't have handled an hour and a half sermon. So I, it's not going to be that long, uh, I promise you. But I want to read the passage again so we can get it all together. Because this is just picking up where we left off last week. If you're able... I invite you to stand in honor of God's word. The, I don't think the screen will pick up to verse 20, but let's look at verse 14 in your Bibles. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says that he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, is, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have works. Well, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. And here's where we pick up today. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You can be seated. So last week we started studying one of the more difficult passages in James. So I told you last week, it's not difficult because we don't know what he's saying. Sometimes you read passages that Paul writes, you think, what is he saying here? And you have to really dig into it and diagram the sentences out and try to figure out what he's saying. But this is not like that. It's very clear what he's saying. But our difficulty is, is that we're so well-versed in Paul's theology. We know Paul and his teaching on justification by faith alone. And so when we read what James is saying here, it, it causes us to take a step back. I told you at the beginning of this series that Martin Luther, the great reformer, said that James was an epistle of straw. And he said that because he couldn't get this around. He couldn't get his mind around how James could say this when Paul said so much about justification. And, and, and of course, Paul's or, or Martin Luther's salvation came from what Paul said about justification by faith alone. 
So let me just remind you that Paul and James aren't face to face in a battle. They're not fighting each other, they're standing back to back. And as they stand back to back, they're fighting different enemies. We have to get this when we're studying James. James is fighting a different enemy than Paul. Paul fought those who said that you've gotta add works to be saved. Paul fought the people who thought that that you had to add circumcision to salvation and dietary laws to salvation and and keeping the law and the temple and all those things, the sacrificial systems. He, He fought people who said you gotta work to be saved. And James instead is fighting those who are saved but saying, you don't have to work. That you, you're, you're saved by grace and you live and you don't, doesn't matter what you do. So they're fighting two different enemies. And what we saw last week is, is that James starts in, in verse 14 with two rhetorical questions. And both of those questions have a, a, an assumed answer that's in the negative. It's of no good is what he's saying, to have faith without works. And and, and the answer is no. And then he gives us four illustrations. And we began to look at these last week. We saw the first two last week, the needy man and then also the objector. The needy man was a person that didn't have food and didn't have clothes. And James saying, don't just say, go and be well fed and be clothed. Take care of them. And we went to 1 John where John said, if you have the world's means and don't help them, you, you can't say that you have love in your heart. So he's saying you're supposed to help those needs. Your, your faith ought to drive you to minister to the people who are in need. And then we saw he introduces this objector because he knows someone's going to say, well, what if or what if? And, and, and so, he, so someone might say, and he, he answers the questions that he knows they're going to be asking. And so we, we, we look at these, these things, and now James is, is going to turn to the Old Testament, which was not an Old Testament to the readers. You remember, he's writing to the 12 tribes of the dispersion. He's writing to Jewish people. This is the earliest book in the New Testament. There's no other New Testament right now. So the only Bible they had was the Old Testament. And they were versed in the Old Testament because they were Jewish people. And so he's going to go back to the, what we would call the Old Testament and show that true faith that is by grace has works that follow. True faith that is by grace has works that follow. Look at verse 20. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Or Kent Hughes said, it's obvious James had never taken the Dale Carnegie course. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, He just cuts right to the point, doesn't he? He just digs right in there. And and what we see in verses 21 through 24 is that James takes us to the father of the faith. He takes us to the father of faith. At least that's what he's called in terms of those who, who live in the Old Testament times and in our own time. He takes us to one of the great Old Testament saints. Really, Abram, Abraham was the beginning of what we would know as Israel. Abram, before his name was changed to Abraham, was promised a son. He had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob, which was Abraham's grandson. And then his great-grandsons, there were the 12 tribes of Israel. And so through Abraham comes what we know of as the people of God. Abraham was that first one who, who placed faith in God. There were others we know, Noah and others who believed in God, but, but Abraham is known as one of the great saints, one of the great people who walked with God, and we hear much about him in the Bible. 
It's interesting that Paul goes to the same passage to prove that you're justified by faith alone. James goes to this passage and Paul goes to this passage and both show the same point. And we need to look at this. But, but, but Paul quotes Genesis 15 and James goes to Genesis 15. But what's interesting is that, that, that James will go to a later event in Abraham's life. And we're going to see that in just a moment. In Genesis chapter 15, God makes a covenant with Abram. He hasn't changed his name to Abraham yet. He makes a covenant with him. And this is what he says. He says, look toward heaven. So you can just picture him outside of his tent, outside in the, in, in, in the, in the desert air where he is. And he looks up in the stars where there's no light pollution. And all he sees is all the stars. And God says, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. And then he said, so shall your offspring be. So shall your offspring be. In verse 5, Genesis 15, and Abram believed the Lord, and he, God, counted it to him as righteousness. This is before the birth of Isaac. Understand that Abraham finally has Isaac when he's 100 years old. Kim and I drove up Thursday morning and, and celebrated her grandmother's 100th birthday on Friday. I can promise you that grandmom's not ready for children. She's 100 years old. Abraham, when he's up in this air, almost 90 years old, when he's at this state of life, he believes God that he will have a son and that the lineage that will flow through that will be like the stars in the sky. Well, that's where Paul moves in. Paul moves in in Romans and in Galatians, and he says, look at Abraham. He believed that he would have a son because in Genesis and in Romans and here in James, it says Abraham believed God and God counted it or God credited it to him as righteousness. In verse 21, though, if you'll notice in our text, verse 21 in James, James builds a case on another event, not just Genesis 15. He says, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? James goes to a passage that's further along than the promise of a son. And he shows us that, that the crediting of righteousness by believing comes with works. That's what he's going to show us, that Abraham's faith comes with works. So if you have your Bibles, it's not going to be on the, not all of it will be on the screen. Turn back to Genesis chapter 22. First book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 22. Isaac is born by now. He's born in chapter 21. And we come to this passage. He's been born. Ishmael's also there because Abraham listened to Sarah and went into Hagar and had a child and, and all that's been taking place in chapter 21. But in chapter 22, look in verses 1 and 2. And after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. 
Don't ever lose sight of how hard this had to have been. Understand also it's the only time in the Bible we ever see God ask for this and know that it's a test. Abraham, or Abraham, um, A.W. Tozer, in his book, The Pursuit of God, wrote about this, this scene. You see, we see in chapter 22, 1 and 2, that God tests him. And, and then in chapter 3, or chapter 22, verse 3, we just see Abraham going. We, we don't have any, any written account of what had to have happened between verses 2 and 3. I mean, I want you to imagine that you've waited for a hundred years to have this child, and now the child's yours, and God says, I want you to take him up on a mountain and offer him as a burnt sacrifice. What did Abraham do? A.W. Tozer said, the sacred writer spares us a close-up of the agony that night on the slopes near Beersheba when the aged man had it out with his God. But respectful imagination may view in awe the bent form wrestling convulsively under the stars. Listen to Tozer. Possibly not again until one greater than Abraham wrestled in the Garden of Gethsemane did such mortal pain visit a human soul. Can you imagine the night Abraham had knowing that in the morning he was to obey God? So look at verse 3. We don't know what happened in the prayer time between Abraham. I know, you know, he didn't just go to sleep. He wrestled with this. Verse three, so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, three days after this, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place from afar. I want you to look at it. Verse 5, Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship. Notice this. And come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on, his, on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. So here's this old man with his young son walking up the mountain. Verse 7, then Isaac said to his father, my father, you can imagine Abraham's just wishing he wouldn't say a word. He says, my father. And Abraham said, here am I, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. Well, you know the story if you've read it. Abraham gets to the mountain where God told him to go and he builds the altar. He sets the wood that Isaac had carried up there in place and then he binds Isaac and lays him on the altar. He takes a knife and he raises it up and he's about to sacrifice his son. And suddenly, just like in verse one, there's a voice. Abraham, Abraham. And just like he did in verse 1, Abraham said, here I am. I've got to believe it's with tears down his face and a trembling in his voice. Here I am, God. And God said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. 
For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. God provided a ram that was caught in the thicket and they sacrificed that ram. And there, if you read, Abraham named God Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. Here's the question. How did Abraham go through with it? I've held my daughters and wondered how in the world did Abraham do it? I've held my grandsons and wondered how did Abraham go through it? It's faith. The writer of Hebrews helps us. He lists the, in chapter 11 the hall of fame of faith. And, and you go back and read it. And, and he talks about Abraham. And he says, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. Abraham told his servants, we'll be back here. He knew that the promise lay with Isaac. He couldn't understand why God would go outside of anything he knew about God and say, sacrifice your son. But he knew that the promise lay with Isaac and he knew that God had promised and he knew that God was faithful. He had trusted in God and God had given it to him as righteousness. And so he was willing to sacrifice Isaac knowing that Isaac was the key to the promise. So he knew that if God called him to sacrifice him, that God would also raise him from the dead. And I just want to tell you something, that's faith. That's faith, that's action based on the faith, that's work, and that's James' point. Now, before we go to the next illustration and, and look at the, the fourth person, I, I want to take you back to Tozer for a moment because he, he now pictures, after the sacrifice is over, he pictures Abraham and Isaac walking down the mountain. He said, now Abraham was a man wholly surrendered, a man utterly obedient, a man who possessed nothing. He had concentrated his all in the person of his dear son and God had taken it from him. Everything that he had owned before was still his to enjoy. He had his wife, he had his son Isaac safe by his side. He had everything but he possessed nothing. He'd given it all to God. Tozer said that the words me and my or my and mine never had the same meaning to Abraham. And you know, church, as, as Christians, Jesus is our Lord, and my and mine are not in our vocabulary. Everything we own is God's. Everything that is ours belongs to God. And, and, and it's, you see in Abraham what true faith will do for you. It will lead you to total surrender and total obedience. So you see this needy man... You see an objector, you see the father of the faith, and then you see the prostitute. What a contrast. We find the father of the faith and a woman who's always mentioned in the Bible, even in the New Testament, as a prostitute. I don't know why after she came to faith and came into God's people that she's still referred to that way, other than it's a testimony to God's grace. We see a major player, Abraham, in Israel's history, and you see a Gentile woman. You see a man who's respected and a woman because of her profession who was a woman of contempt. Could there be a greater contrast than these two? And so he comes and he says this, look at James again, and in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers 
and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Rahab's story is a little further along the line than in Israel's history. Abraham has had his son Isaac, Isaac has has had um, Jacob, and Jacob has had his 12 sons, and those 12 sons have grown and multiplied. They've gone into Egypt, and and they were in slavery, and God delivered them through Joseph, and and, and then they get out, and and they come. Moses leads them out of the promised land 400 years later. You'll find in Genesis that God tells Abraham he'll have children who will be in slavery for 400 years, and they'll come out. They get into the wilderness. They finally get to the promised land. They're ready to cross over, and Moses sends in 12 spies. Of those 12 spies, only Joshua and Caleb believed that they could take the land. The rest of them didn't believe. They said, there's no way. They'll kill our children. They'll enslave them. And so they said, we're not going to go in. And God was furious with them, and Moses was furious with them, and And God said to them, because you didn't trust me, because you didn't trust me, every one of you who are adults who came out of Egypt will die in the wilderness. And those children that you were so worried about, they'll be the ones who'll enter the promised land. And so by the time you get to Rahab, all the adults who died, who came out of Egypt are now dead in the wilderness. And the children have grown and they've come to the, to, to the river and they cross over and Joshua learned from Moses. You remember Moses sent 12 spies and only two said we could do it. So Joshua only sends out two spies. He doesn't send 12, he sends two. And he tells them to search the land, especially Jericho. And so they enter into Jericho. Jericho, history says, was a city that no one believed could be taken. It had fortified walls, and it was a miracle the way, and we won't get into that, but God delivered them through a miracle. But, but they go into the city as two visitors, and they stay at the house of a prostitute. That makes you wonder, what are two men going to stay at the house of a prostitute? But it says they, specifically, they lodged there. So Rahab was not only a prostitute, but she was a hotel owner. People could go and stay there. And so while they're staying there, trying to search out the land, the king of Jericho finds out that they're there. And and Genesis says that he sends guards to go get them. And Rahab hides them on the roof. And then she tells them that, that they've already escaped through the city walls. And she says, if you'll hurry, you can catch them. And so the guards take off, the soldiers take off and run through the gates and they lock the gates. And Rahab saves the two spies. As she lets them down a rope through her window outside the city gates, she asks for their protection and they basically say to her, if you're, they they give her a cord, she ties the cord on the window and they say, when we come, if you're in this house and any of your family that's in this house will be saved. Rahab saved herself and she saved her family and she saved the spies. This act caused her to be listed in the Hall of Fame of Faith in Hebrews 11. She's right there with Moses. She's right there with Abraham. She told the spies that they had heard what God did. 
She said, we heard how he delivered you from Egypt. We heard how he delivered you from the Red Sea. We heard how he's taking care of you. And what she told him was, we've been scared to death that you would come because we knew that God would deliver you. And here's what I want to say to you is that Rahab heard the stories of God and she decided that's going to be my God. Rahab placed faith in the God she heard about, so when the spies came, she chose to put her lot with God, with God's people. Her faith came from God, and as a result, it had works, and that's the point. Rahab's faith had works. Abraham's faith had works. We're saved by faith, but that faith carries with it works of obedience to God. We're servants of God. The word in the New Testament is doulos, and it's always the word slave. We're slaves of God. Translations don't pick up on that word because of the negative connotation that it has in our, in our society, and I understand that. But the word is slave. Every time you see this servant, bond slave, we're slaves of God. But that's not all we are. I didn't intentionally skip verse 23 at the end of it. I just saved it for now. Look at what he said. And Abraham was called a friend of God. We're not just slaves. We're friends. And what we see in Abraham's life, you see in Genesis 18, he intercedes. You you see the boldness of his intercession. You see the boldness of Moses' intercession. You see the boldness of people who knew God as they talked to God because they talked like they were friends. They always kept in mind who God was. But they always spoke with God as a friend. And his obedience came out of that friendship. His obedience came out of that devotion to God. What about Rahab? Why did God use her? We don't know. Her faith was a reason. But understand this. God took that Gentile prostitute and he brought her into his family. It's interesting. She had a child by the name of Boaz. Boaz, by another Gentile woman, a Moabite named Ruth, had a child named Obed. Obed had a child named Jesse. And Jesse had a child named David. David, the one from whom Jesus comes. Get this. God took a Gentile prostitute and made her the great-great-grandmother of David. God's grace so worked in a Gentile prostitute's life that she's listed in the New Testament in the genealogy of Jesus. From her comes another who comes another and comes another all the way down to Jesus. Church, that's just grace. God's grace is never too late to start and and never too late to follow and never too late to repent and never too late to walk in the Spirit. But let's not forget one thing, and and this is so important as we look at this passage. This is only possible because there was another son. Abraham laid the wood on Isaac's back, but there would be wood laid on another son's back. 
Abraham and his son walked up the hill with the wood on his back. There would be another son who would walk up a hill with wood on his back. Abraham was ready to sacrifice his son, but God stayed his hand. But there would be no staying of this hand because Jesus is the one that Abraham and Isaac picture. Jesus is the one who is the son of God who has the wood laid on his back. Jesus is the one who goes up on the hill. Jesus is the one that when it comes time for death, God provided, but not a ram. God provided the only hope of our salvation. All of this points to Jesus. Jesus is the one, and God does this. Listen, when you study Ephesians and other passages, God allowed this so that the unthinkable, he allowed the unthinkable so that we could know the unknowable. God allowed the unthinkable, but he would become a man and die in our place. God allowed the unthinkable so that we could know the unknowable. Listen to what Paul said in in Ephesians, that we would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. We can know the unknowable, that we would see how high and how deep and how wide and how long is the love of God. This is a picture when you look at Rahab. It's a picture when you look at Abraham. It's a picture of of the needy man who who left the glory of heaven and came to the earth. We see this in in Jesus, and Jesus comes that we can have a relationship with him and, and get this. He says in Ephesians that we can know God and be filled with the fullness of God. The fullness of God. That's the kind of thing that comes from obedience. It's the kind of thing that flows from faith. But I want to ask you a question as we close. You say you have faith, and I'm thankful for that. If I were to sit down with you, you may say, yes, I I was saved. Yes, I've been born again. Maybe it was at VBS, like hopefully some children will do this week. That's wonderful. But but let me just ask you, I I know that you can pinpoint a date that you place faith in Christ. But but I just got to ask you, based on what we see in James, what's the work that proves your claim? What is it in your life that shows that Jesus is there? I don't mean you're working to be saved. I mean you're saved so the works come. How has Jesus transformed you? How has Jesus changed you? What is it about the way you talk and the way you live and the way you sleep and the way you get up and the things that you read and the things that you look at and the things that you listen to and the things that you do and your desires? What is it about all of that that shows that you've been transformed by the Holy Spirit coming inside of That's a question every one of us have to wrestle with. What is there in my life that could be evidence of proof of my claim of faith? It's all James is saying. You believe God, yes, it's credited you as righteousness. But that righteousness better come with righteous living. Yes, you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone. Praise the Lord for that. But that faith has to come not alone, but with works. Amen? Would you bow your heads for a moment? Only you can really search your life. Now, you could come live with me for a week and be with me, and, and then 
you'd have to ask, is, does he live like he's a believer? I could come walk with you at work or walk with you at whatever you're doing. And, and, and we'd have to evaluate, is that a believer? So I'm just asking you again, what's the proof? Look in your life right now and and if there's, no, if there's no proof, there's a problem. I don't say by that that you're not saved. May not be, but you may be. And if you're saved and no works are following, then you're living in the wrong manner. And I promise you, if you're saved and you're not walking with the Lord, you're not living with joy. Because the Holy Spirit won't let us sin and stay happy. And so if you've been born again, the Spirit of God lives inside of you. And you're not bearing fruit. There's a reason. There's something that's blocking the way. Repent of that. Turn away from that. And if the Spirit of God doesn't live inside of you, call upon Him to save you. Ask him to forgive you of your sins and to come into your life and follow him. Father, your word says you've caused us to be born again. You bring us from darkness into light. You bring us from dead into life. I pray that you do that today if there's someone who doesn't know you. Deliver them from the domain of darkness. Transfer them to the kingdom of your son. Do the work, God. And by your work, let us place faith in you and believe in you and walk in you. I lift up my brothers and sisters here today, Lord. None of us are perfect. But we need to be growing in our faith. So if there's something that's keeping us away from you, let us deal with it severely. Jesus, you said, if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your foot causes you to sin, remove it. And I know, Jesus, you don't want us to go around with one eye, one hand, and one foot. But you're showing us just how serious we should deal with sin. So let us be faithful now. As we sing, Lord, I pray that you would move in our hearts and that we would be obedient to you for these next few moments. Let us, Lord, Respond to anything you may be calling us to do. And would you just pray this prayer? Lord Jesus, what would you have me do right now? Lord Jesus, what would you have me do right now? Lord, help us to do that, I pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing. Tim's here. I'll be here at the front. If you need me, come.
What if I offered you a chance to do your dream vacation? Somewhere like tropical paradise on an island in Fiji somewhere, all inclusive. Or Swiss Alps or the mountains or Tolleson that doesn't like to fly, Tennessee or Gulf Shores. What if I said, you've got the opportunity for the trip of a lifetime that meets every dream you've ever had, but you got to leave at 4 a.m. tomorrow. I think almost everyone here could make it. I can't promise you Fiji, but I can promise you if you'll get up in the morning and get along with God. If you'll go to bed tonight and before you go to sleep, you pray. And you start seeking God day after day. It's a life that's beyond anything you could ever imagine. Get in His Word and pray His Word. Get in His Word and find out who He is. And learn to love Him. And see just how much He loves you. Amen? I'm glad you're here. I really want to thank you for being here. Don't forget the deacon ballots. If you need one, there's some right here. Just put them in the offering plate. If you're a member of our church, you can put them in the offering plate. Um, Just real quick, pray for our students as they come home tomorrow. How many of you are working in VBS tomorrow, um, starting tomorrow? We got a couple hands, a lot of hands went up. Okay, Um, just want to know we're praying for you and and thank you for your service. Be in prayer this week from 8.30 to 11.30. Just be in prayer that the children's hearts will be open to the gospel. We won't push children to to pray, but we do want to give them the gospel and give them a chance to respond. So pray for them. I'm glad you're here. Would you just bow your head? We have a, Stephen, can you pull it up, the new um, benediction? You got it there on your screen. If not, I don't have my glasses, so I can't see it. I got him right here, Stephen. Would you bow your heads just for a second? The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. And everyone said, amen. Guess I'll be right over here. I'd love to talk to you. God bless you.